coming on a low, I've been taking my time I feel like I'm out of my mind It feel like my life ain't mine I've been on the low, I've been taking my time I feel Hey everyone, like welcome back to Project Mayday These are your hosts, Bree and G And today we have a unique guest His name is Monty Franck And we're actually going to let him introduce himself in his own native tongue So go ahead, Monty well, thank you for the opportunity to speak on your show. I have been a long-term uh, podcast listener. And so as we do in my Ojibwe language, I will say Bozu, Awan in Hindagaz, Monty Frank Indigo, Malax Band of Ojibwe, Odujaba, Shiminasing Inda, Iwadi Dash Indinoke, Tribal Emergency Management, and Mukwet Duduum. In my Ojibwe language, Bozu means hello. Uh, Awan is my traditional Ojibwe name, which means the fog in my Ojibwe language. I work for the Malax Band of Ojibwe, which is one of the 11 sovereign tribal nations in Minnesota. I live in the Sheminising, which means uh, people of the island, uh, tribal community of our reservation. And I belong to one of the seven animal clans of, of bear, which is Mukwa, uh, for the Ojibwe people, and Mukwa is the protector uh, of our people in our stories. So being that I am a tribal uh, responder for the last, going on 33 years now, uh, my clan is what I have followed uh, in, in my career. Wow. I, that is a, that's a title. That's, yes, that's an introduction, right? I am so right? thankful that you introduced yourself <laughs> in your own Because we, we would have to take about 20 uh, <laughs> We're intro. not sure if the listeners know this, but we are not live, so we do have to edit our videos. Um, so we appreciate your introduction, especially because um, yeah. this is your background. Yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, speaking of background, like we have so much to talk about here. Mm -hmm. um, history of Native Americans to mm -hmm. where you're at in Minneapolis, you know, Minnesota. And, you know, what you've gone with 33 years mm -hmm. of being in the service and, you know, what you've seen and what... You know, and that translated into your personal life. Yes. And, you know, you'll, you'll, you're open to talking about that. Like we, you know, appreciate you coming on. So let's talk about the start 33 years ago, you know, where was Monty? What was he thinking? <laughs> um, you know, where, where were you at? Well, you know, I look back and like many um, native men at that time, you know, uh, life for us was very challenging. Uh, grew up in a very, uh, we, we call it historical trauma filled home, uh, with a lot of adversity and unfortunately a lot of, of alcoholism and also a lot of violence in my home, which is very, unfortunately, uh, something that many of us have the same story as we grow up. Uh, I look back in my career and I, you know, in the 1970s, nobody called 911 for help. Uh, I think there was just responders in my community who knew what was going on and just kind of gave me their time and, and just a little direction to keep me going. Uh, and with that, I guess I wanted to come and give back to the community. Uh, so I, Became uh, I went and trained to become a, a, a law enforcement officer in my in my career, and pretty much have worked for the Malax Band of Ojibwe my entire public safety tribal public safety career, 
started out as one of the uh, original three tribal police officers for the mm. Mille Lacs Band of Ojibwe. Wow. And then, yeah, and then in 2000, when all uh, the tribal nations in the U.S. Uh, were given the ability to do tribal emergency management by President Clinton, uh, I had the opportunity to, uh, to me, really advance my career going in a very good direction. And that direction allowed me to really focus on some unmet needs in my tribal community. And so uh, I've been gifted with just have being of service to three uh, unbelievable uh, tribal leaders who I've worked for in my time, starting with Art Gabo, uh, Marge Anderson, and now Chief Executive Melanie Benjamin, and watching our community grow from a very simple conception to where we are now with, with two casinos, um, and but of course with that uh, comes a lot of continued health disparities. Mm. Um, so every day uh, I just am of humble service to my community, whether that is responding to medical calls as a tribal EMT, whether that's going and teaching first aid or CPR in my tribal community, uh, child safety seats in my community, responding to a natural disaster, uh, it's, 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 it's a different variety every day, but I am just the most humblest employee to be able to do that over my career. And, uh, and just, just again, so grateful for that. Um, I kind of want to go back to all the hats that you wear being an emergency manager, because, um, how you described your career is very different than I think most of our listeners, what we experience as a first responder. And you said you started out as a tribal police officer and you currently kind of act as a hybrid of all first responders. Not only do you have that law enforcement background, but also firefighter EMT. And then you said there's more community outreach, teaching CPR and first aid um, to your community. So can you tell us kind of the difference between your position and one that would be mimicked in outside of a tribal nation? You know, there is um, a way to look at this is nationwide. There's a new uh, terminology, which is called CRR or community risk reduction. Uh, we're seeing that on the National Fire Academy level. In mm -hmm. fact, uh, the Malak just, uh, just hosted the National Fire Academy class for this. So really, I look at what I do is really that we are reducing risk in our community and when you see that logo and you see that terminology, anything that a community off the reservation uh, can do for public education or on tribal lands to reduce any type of risk is really what CRR is about. And, and everything I do uh, it really looks at that, whether we're doing, you know, BLS, basic first aid, child safety, even our our pet wellness clinics that we do for the Mille Band to reduce our, and, and, and have healthy pets in our community. Everything goes into reducing those risks. When I go out and teach uh, Narcan response training, all that goes into that CRR or the community risk reduction um, kind of umbrella. And so it's really nice to see across the United States that CRR is becoming accepted or even a job title now in many fire agencies, you know, besides, you know, like, like fire prevention, but mm -hmm. CRR just beyond that. And I'm, and I'm really glad that 
we can diversify, as you said, be a hybrid, but many fire EMS and emergency management agencies are doing this because we are facing so many smaller risks in our communities. You know, all, you know, all the environmental issues we're dealing with now, this whole wildfire season, mm-hmm. this whole pandemic, you know, all of this is all about risk reduction and keeping our communities health and safe, you know, health and, and, and safe wise. So I'm really glad that this is a nationwide effort and that uh, what I do every day really kind of follows that yeah. because I just want to make sure that uh, my community is, you know, when there's an unmet need and if I can be of service to that family, to this district, to our urban office in Minneapolis and, and, and to provide that, that is what uh, my service is all about. Thank you so much for that kind of that parallel and describing um, your unique position, um, truly, with your 32 going on 33 years of active um, experience. Something that happened very recently, actually, um, for you, which you actually reached out to us to share your story. And we were so thankful that you did. On May 26, 2021, um, your daughter actually was tragically murdered. And um, we really not only will we ask you to kind of share what happened to give us some type of, you know, origin of this trauma, but also we want Mm -hmm. to talk about truly how all your heritage and who you are as a person with all your experience, how those merged and how you're even able to speak with us when it hasn't even been that long ago. So can you um, tell us what happened on that day? Well, some history of, uh, with with my daughter. Um, uh, my daughter uh, Nada, um, her Ojibwe name, Akwadizi Nishkanishkadid Ikwe, which means she's a fierce, passionate woman. Um, in her life, has some very uh, dark times. In fact, she was human trafficked uh, from age fourteen to sixteen, and many of young Native girls who are that. Uh, and I was able, well, with a lot of help, uh, to, to find her alive and to recover her alive from human trafficking. Wow. But the trauma that victims of human trafficking survive never go away. And her mother and I both knew that if she would go into another dark place, uh, that the outcome, unfortunately, could be what it was. On May 26th, um, there was a shots fired call in Brooklyn Center, Minnesota, at the Gateway apartment, for which the suspect barricaded himself in the apartment. Uh, Brooklyn Park SWAT team had to come in, breach the apartment, and found two deceased individuals. Uh, One was my daughter, uh, Nada, uh, she was uh, murdered with an AR-15 rifle. She took three rounds to the chest um, and died instantly. And the suspect, from what the best thing we can figure out is when the SWAT team breached her lower level window, he put the rifle under his chin and also pulled the trigger. So it was a murder-suicide uh, for that. Uh, and my daughter was 24 at the time. Mm. So... You know, being a first responder yourself mm-hmm. and hearing that mm-hmm. and, you know, also getting your daughter back from, you know, being sex trafficked 
and whatnot. What what was going through your mind? Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, if you if you are willing to talk about it and share with us, like what was going through your mind when you when you got that call? Because you've definitely responded to those type of calls beforehand, right? right? right. And you know, Bree and I absolutely have and Zeph. Yeah. You know, like what was going through your mind like when you when you got that call? Was it like, well, no, that's not my daughter? It, no, it was a um in fact when the call came uh up I was actually, we had a house fire at Moana here on the reservation. So I was actually at the scene helping the fire department doing the 360, giving them the fire report mm. uh, to the guy on the scene. And so I was even about three hours later getting home than normal. Uh, Na- uh, Nada's mother started texting me saying, you have to call home, call home, call home. Mm. I'm like tired. I've been at this fire. Uh, I just want to get home a shower. Um, I'll, I'll talk to you, but then my younger daughter, Lanicia, uh, dad said that dad is an emergency call home. Um, when I called, uh, their mother up and she was crying, she was crying. I knew. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I just said she did, didn't she? Mm. And yes, she was. And the next day, uh, well, that night, then like we do as first responders, we have to notify next to kin. And for me, calling the worst call ever was calling the grandparents. Oh. Uh, and how do you tell a grandparent, you know, that their granddaughter is murdered? You know, it was late at night. You know, they have, they, they have their own health, health issues going on. Mm. And uh, that was just probably the hardest call then calling all my siblings to let them know. Uh, but then in our first responder family, I, I gave, uh, Greg Hayes, the, uh, Shakopee Minnewakan public safety director I've known for 20 some years, a call and let him know and said, Greg, I need your help as a fellow brother in, in tribal public safety. Uh, I need you to get the word out that this has hit my family. Yeah. Mm. I need you to notify because in our traditional traditions, we have a four day funeral process as Ojibwe people. Mm. Um, I need six male native pallbearers and all the Northern tribal emergency managers were that. Mm. And I also need you to bring the food to feed everybody. And Greg was like, my brother, I've got this focus on your family. And, you know, and I just finally got home and uh, made the phone calls. Next day, I called the investigator up um, in, in Brooklyn Park, Minnesota. And the first two things he asked me is, that, number one, did you know this Darnell who uh, was the other person in the apartment? And I did not know him. Uh, I guess he was staying there on and off, I, I guess, in a, you know, w- w- with my daughter and the second thing he asked me, do you, did you know there was an AR-15 223 caliber rifle in the apartment? I'm like, no, mm. no, I did not know that. Wow. What I also didn't is my good friend, uh, John Cunningham, the Brooklyn Park fire chief I've known for 25 years, was one of the instant commanders on scene. Wow. And, and I think he also when he found out who the victims were in his jurisdiction uh, and he saw the last name, 
know, yeah. and, 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 and we, and we talked about this on another podcast, you know, it, he just, it had to be just as hard for him to, because yeah. that last, and, and we go back so long in our careers together. So yeah, yeah. It, it hit a lot really hard. Absolutely. Uh, wow. Yeah. I can't, I can't imagine Monty. And, you know, I want to, I want to touch on the difference of what it is, you know, being a, a native tribal firefighter, you know, mm-hmm. paramedic and then, or, or EMT or paramedic or whatnot, and then being out in the civilian world. What is the difference? What, what were you, what did you have access to that other, other, you know, people didn't know? You said that you were in touch with all these people and they knew the last names and, you know, whatnot, like what were very close knit community. Absolutely. So describe that a little bit. Like, were you more rest assured that you knew the guys mm-hmm. that, or the guys and gals that were on that call or, you know, describe that, that scene. Well, that first part, I didn't know who the incident commander was with the fire department until later. Um, what I you know, uh, my cousin, uh, who is a retired professor at Metro State in social work, uh, who's also a, who's a Malax Band member, said, Monty, the one thing you had, which most Native families don't, you have a fraternity of brothers and sisters mm-hmm. in public safety. Yes. Where many of our Native families do not have that. Mm-hmm. They get this call and they don't have this opportunity to turn to. And, and, and I did. And I, I never thought about that until my cousin said that to me. And knowing that Greg Hayes, even who's with Minnewakan, was there. And, you know, we got Nita ready for her for additional funeral. And, when the day came for the, on the third night for the wake and the funeral. And when I walked into our, our district two community center and I saw all the uniforms, you know, and, and, and all my brothers and sisters who, who showed up and they did three things. Number one, they got to grieve with me. Two, they brought the food because we had to feed everybody at the wake and the funeral. And three, they got to see a traditional Ojibwe funeral ceremony because many of them respond onto the Northern Reservations of Minnesota. And maybe what, what I went through, they could learn and help other Native families, even though they're non-Native responders, mm-hmm. in helping them with this grieving process and the four-day traditional Ojibwe funeral process to get, her, to get, to get their loved ones on, on, on their way on a spiritual journey. So, you know, I mean, I'm still thinking the responders, it, it was such a blur, um, but knowing that my brothers and sisters really had my back, they took care of everything. I could focus on my daughter and getting her on her traditional four-day process and and not having to worry about anything in the back. And if I had to do all that, I, I would be in a worse mental shape having to try to plan all that and knowing that those folks came together, they took everything. And when I walked in that community center and saw everybody there in uniform or in their civilian clothes, um, you know, you can't put words on that. It was just hugs and tears and gratitude and humbleness 
Um, and the one thing that, you know, going through our traditional process, which is all in Ojibwe language, um, and we had a very strong uh, female uh, spiritual leader uh, to do the waking funeral. And many of them, I responded to like, we hope she puts this in English because it's all in Ojibwe. But uh, Babata Boyd, who did this ceremony, is one of our spiritual leaders, and she is just a elegant storyteller. And when she got done doing both ceremonies, she would sit in front of the entire audience and just in her beautiful storytelling ability, tell the whole Ojibwe legend of why we do this ceremony for. Mm. So everybody there said, Monty, that was just an amazing story. And where she is going to is a beautiful place. And now we know that what you do as, as your Ojibwe, traditional Ojibwe four-day ceremony to, to get your loved ones to, to their future place. Yeah, Monty, there's a few things that I kind of want to touch on. One would definitely be the first responder culture is very unique. And I think that's why, you know, Project Mayday really does focus on this first responder culture of it is a brotherhood, sisterhood, right? It's, It's a secondary family. And sometimes you spend more time with them than your own regular, you know, family that you chose. Um, with that being said, um, when a first responder is also suffering, I think that's why it's so important that we're even highlighting this is it is a support system. Project Mayday is also a support system uh, where mm-hmm. we can share these really hard times and humanize, you know, it's not just the badge. Um, yeah. Another thing that I found very interesting um, is this storytelling of the Native American culture. and. It was very surprising to us that you were able to reach out to Project Mayday. I mean, just months after this critical incident in your own life. And something that we um, talked about prior to coming on was the ability to storytell in this four day traditional uh, process of um, the spiritual guidance through the other side Mm -hmm. and how you're able to even speak about it, you know, only a few Mm -hmm. months after. Can you talk about the spirituality and the side of the Native American culture of the powerful impact of storytelling? Well, uh, if you look at, and I I only can talk about what we do here for the Mille Lacs Band of Ojibwe and how we do our traditional four-day funeral process. The one, I think, unique thing um, is that in non-native culture, we grieve for years, and it can be years with grieving. In our stories, as our traditional Ojibwe funeral process, the one thing that spiritual leader really does eloquently is tells everybody, especially the immediate loved ones, that we have to let our loved ones go. If we continue to grieve, where they're going to, they won't be happy. Mm. And they will want to come back to where they were at. Mm. So as Ojibwe people, we have to let our loved ones go. We have to allow them to be happy where they're going to. It's a beautiful place. There's no pain there. There's no suffering. They're going to meet their relatives from thousands of years who are waiting for them. And if we continue to grieve, they won't be happy there. And so that's definitely unique as a Ojibwe person 
And as our stories tell us this to do, and that was one thing uh, many of the responders said it was a, just an amazing, elegant part of the story that of the letting go. Where so many cultures, we hang on and we yes. grieve and we grieve and we grieve and we never let it go. And for myself, it was over the Memorial Day weekend and I came to work on Tuesday and people were like, what are you at work for? You just, and it was like, our stories tell us we have to let her go. Yeah. My, yeah. Chief, my chief would have sent you home. My chief would have been like, hey, dude. You are not yeah. going to go on the engine. You are going home. Yeah. And, uh, and that was unique because uh, many of my fellow Malax band employees were on vacation when this all happened. Mm-hmm. And when back and saw the email of the posting for the freaking funeral of my daughter, uh, probably the next two days were just hugs and stories and hugs and hugs and, you know, and more tears because most of them said I would have been there. I didn't know I was on vacation. Um, yeah. And uh, so even after Nita was on her spiritual journey, about a week after a uh, my fellow classmate went to high school with was a paramedic for Med 1 in Grand Rapids and got killed in the line of duty a week later. Wow. So... So I also uh, was honored to escort Troy through the Malax Band of Ojibwe with the with the procession, bringing him down to the medical examiner's office, and then going to his funeral uh, a, a week after my daughter's um, death. Oh. Um, There's so, a, that's a lot of and, trauma, Monty. That's a lot of trauma. It was a journey, and, and again, even going to Troy's funeral up in Grand Rapids, many responders again came to me and just said. I didn't know Monty. I was on vacation. It's Memorial Day weekend, and I would have been there for you. So it was a, you know, and I know they would have. And a lot of people come up to you and they say, you know, Monty, I don't even know what to say to you. And I say, I tell them that is the right thing to say. <laughs> because we don't expect our children to be murdered. I've had classmates who maybe have lost a child to maybe a, a, a motor, a vehicle accident, you know, Minnesota, ice and snow. We can accept that a little easier than having a, a child who is murdered. Right. Absolutely. You know, Monty, it's very interesting um, that you're talking about the storytelling and within the Native American story that during that four day um, process of releasing the spirit you know, I feel like many of our podcasts have talked about things like survivor's guilt. Um, there's mm-hmm. a lot of guilt of letting go of the grieving yeah. process, um, which, you mm-hmm. know, the five stages of grieving, one eventually is acceptance, which some people never get to, right? You never get to accepting uh, what really happened. So it's interesting to hear this different perspective where if you don't let go and you hold on, you're making them hold on too into that moment. If you think about it in that different perspective, it forces you to deal with it. It's like the guilt is reversed. Instead of survivor's guilt, you'd be guilty not processing it correctly and letting it go. So it's, it's a very interesting, unique perspective that we typically don't hear about. Mm. Um, So I really thank you for sharing that. And really, you know, every, Every one of the 580 tribes do it differently, you know? And so we always say for Indian country, when you meet one, one person of a tribe, you meet one person with a tribe. 
um, because every tribal agent does it differently. And that is where, when those responders came to be for my daughter, they get to see how we, how, how the Mille Lacs band does it. Mm-hmm. And so if, they, if another native family uh, has something happen, they can be of service to them and, 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 and do things in a good way. Mm-hmm. Uh, as you story, it was a unique twist to this is I'm also a member of our central region EMS CISM team and have been doing that for over 20 years. And it was many times going through this process when all the tools that we would tell other responders to use to get through a critical incident. Mm-hmm. Now I'm using those same tools for myself. Mm-hmm. And there was many times I would be coming home and just realizing that all those handouts we give out to other responders for self-care and all those things we do with the seven, with, with the, uh, with the seven step mutual model that we utilize, uh, I was having to do for myself. Mm. And that was, it was kind of a unique thing to think about not only my own cultural teachings as, as Ojibwe, but also that SISM model that I also have done for many years, uh, for other first responders going through a critical incident. And now, I was going through my own critical incident and having to use the tools I tell others, uh, I'm using them myself. For you personally, Monty, what has been the biggest help uh, for you to get through this process so far to be able to even speak about it at this point in your grieving process? You know, the one thing that at Nato's funeral, uh, all the advocates from the MMIW or missing and murdered indigenous women's advocates who came wearing their red ribbon skirts, which is the traditional symbol of MMIW, uh, approached me after the funeral and just said, Monty, when you're ready, don't let Nada's death be another check in the box or a statistic for another American, another Native American woman. Mm-hmm. You have a unique perspective because the MMIW, typically we would see the mothers, the sisters, the aunties, the cousins telling these stories and not a father. Mm-hmm. And so that was a unique process for me to realize that I'm coming from this from a father's eyes, not from a mother's eyes or an auntie's eyes, but from a father's eyes. And knowing that I had this fraternity that helped me every step of the way from when she was being trafficked, um, you know, the National Missing and, and Exploited Children's Network, as well as the Patty Redley Foundation at that time were just an unbelievable resource. But every responder I would reach out to, you know, would say, give us her poster. We'll keep them back, you know, keep them in our ambulances, we'll keep them in our fire apparatuses. If, you know, we know she's in the metro, you know, there's more eyes out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something where many Native families who are still waiting for the loved ones to come home uh, may not have that. And I, in my in my career, I was very humbled and honored to have brothers and sisters 
fellow responders, native and non-native, mm-hmm. that went to one of our own, they were there. And in my darkest time of my of, of the death of my daughter, they were there also for me. Wow. That's really beautiful. And and Mati, you are absolutely the epitome of, you know, your tribal, you know, tribe or group or whatever you want to call it, coming to your aid mm-hmm. in that in that yeah. moment of need. And then you have a another layer of, you know, first responders mm-hmm. um coming to your aid and you know, now you have you know, the, the, you know, the U S and, you know, whoever this reaches come into your aid. And I think that's very unique. And I think that's, um, you know, just speaking on you and just very commendable of you coming on and, and, and talking about this in such a short, I, I can't even imagine somebody coming on and talking about this within, you know, four or five months of this Mm -hmm. happening. So, you know, we commend you for that and we thank you for that. Mm -hmm. Um, and just know that, you know, you have us, you know, with you. Yeah. And as I listen to all your podcasts, you know, and you are focusing on our well-being. Yeah. And I think that was every podcast I listened to, it focuses on that and knowing that as a Native American first responder, it might be a little different because of what our cultural teachings are and being that we're also a very tight-knit community in, 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 all of our tri- in all of our sovereign nations across the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is something, I guess, listening to all your podcasts, that that unique status of sovereignty and of, of cultural, I guess maybe called cultural competency, <laughs> was not always in podcasts because it just, it, tribal nations are not really thought of sometimes um, and this unique tragedy was one that I, listening to all your podcasts, felt maybe it could benefit my fellow tribal responders, Absolutely. knowing that this may be the other tribal or those agencies that respond to tribal land, yeah. to knowing that they can be a service to, this, to a family, to a Native family who is grieving at the loss of their loved one, and maybe they can do something for them to make their, their, their grieving a little easier. Absolutely, yes. Monty. You definitely hit the nail on the head there. Yes. You know, we're all in this together for yes. sure. However, you are not off the hook just yet, buddy. <laughs> you are coming. I know this was coming. <laughs> you are not off the hook yet. We are going to put you in the fire, and it is called rapid fire. So the rule is yes, I... <laughs> there are five questions, and they're not the same as what you've already heard in the other podcast. Just know that. What are you just moans and groans because they're waiting for the five questions they're going to get? <laughs> so we got five questions here. You got to answer in one word or one phrase. All right, buddy? All right. Okay, Monty, first question. If you could have a superpower, what superpower would you have? If I look at a superpower, I think would be to take away somebody's hurt. Hmm. That is a good one. A true first responder. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Second question. What is your favorite movie? Oh, boy. I'm a kind of a, of, of, of many, many, you know, favorite ones, but probably uh, two of my favorites are probably Space Cowboys. Love it. Uh, But also, I think the original In Heat of the Night is, is, Mm -hmm. is one of my favorites. Okay. okay. <laughs> um, number three, what are you most proud of? 
Oh boy, that's a, that's a, that's kind of a challenge one. Um, I think going through this process, mm. what I am most proud of in Nada's story is that when she turned 20, we were having dinner together. And it was one of those finally heart-to-heart father-daughter talks. And towards the end, she looked at me and said, Dad, the only reason I am alive is because of you. Wow. For everything I did to make you give up on me, you never did. Wow. I think that was one of those proudest moments I had as her father. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. All right. Um, next question. Uh, what Native American tradition um, is your favorite? You know, I think we always say powwows. It, 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 it's a social <laughs> gathering. But... For, for, for myself is that for the Mille Lacs band, we have ceremonial drums, which is, which is truly our most spiritual drums. We always say within every, a, a drum is called a, a degwagon, and within that drum, that beat is your mother's heartbeat. That's what you listen to for those nine. And, and, for, and for us, we know for the Mille Lacs band that those ceremonial drums are also our healing drums. Wow. And for my going through this loss of my life that those ceremonial drums that we go to in the spring and the fall, you know, have been probably the most thing, special gift I needed to get through this. Wow. That's beautiful. Okay. Last question. What is one word to describe your mental health? You know, I think I tell people I'm doing okay. Hmm. Uh, because, they're still tough days. Mm-hmm. I will say Father's Day will never be the same. Um, Memorial Day will never be the same for me. Um, but knowing that what our elders teach us in their stories, our traditions, you know, as an Anishinaabe father, I'm doing okay. I will never be my, I will never be ever again having gone through this. Um, but doing these podcasts, um, is also very helping, and and especially on yours because it focuses on 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 mental well being mm. and knowing that Native American well being sometimes is very different than non Native well being, mm. especially if you are working with Native responders uh, like myself or within your own departments. To knowing that our teachings, our traditions, may be very different than how you were raised or what is taught for behavioral health because we're told that the woods and the water is where we go to, to find our, 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 our spirituality. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, thank you so much, Monty, for sharing your incredible journey of um, grieving really, and being so vulnerable in our podcast and truly opening up to those listening. We really appreciate all your time and all your authenticity and um, thank you so much. Well, as, as Ojibwe people, we have no word for goodbye. We say <laughs> give a wabapah. We'll see you later. Say that again. Say that and, again. And that means we say give a wabanan, which means we'll see you later. No word for goodbye in, in our Ojibwe language. 
but as I said, I hope that uh, this will be good for your audience and also it's, it's good medicine for me too. Absolutely. This is Project Mayday. Give a wabana.